Hi, I'm Brad Smith with the WWE. I'm the Vice President of Photography. Hi, I'm Crystal Atwater with the National Football League, and I'm the Photo and Video Asset Manager. Thank you for joining us for Who the F Did That? Speaking of who the F did that, what exactly do you do for the NFL, Crystal? I like to consider myself a bit of jack-of-all-trades. My day-to-day -day is overseeing our photo and video department, and I work in, from the broader scope of things, I work in the marketing department, and um, our department is in charge of creating visuals for all of our league initiatives mm -hmm. and league events. So Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Draft, you name it, one-off, breast cancer awareness, everything. Um, and the main component of my job is we put together these massive style guides uh, that really set the look, the tone, and the theme visually for all of our events. And I oversee the team that creates the photography and video for that. So everything you named was NFL-related, but it didn't include football games. So you don't cover day-to-day -day football games on Sundays? Correct. We have a team out in L.A. that works directly with AP Images, who we syndicate all of our game action photography uh, through, and they make sure that there's a photographer at every single game, multiple photographers at every single game during the season. But I have nothing to do with those images, and it's lovely. You're a smart <laughs> woman, and you're going to live a lot longer, I think. So That's I will. It's a huge undertaking. That it's. I, I think those guys are great, and I use a ton of the stuff that they, uh, they create, but yeah, I'm not, no game action, none of that. But occasionally, we will send a photographer out to a game, but they're uh, going out there to shoot something very specific for me, and it's usually from a more stylized perspective. Right, so if you're gathering images from a Super Bowl, from the draft, which is indoors in some venue, and there's a bunch of guys on stage in suits, right? Mm -hmm. And then the Pro Bowl, which is very casual, it's a football game that's kind of not a football game. Mm -hmm. What exactly are you doing with that content after you've gathered it? Well, it's a two-parter, right? Each each event has its own personality, right? So if I think about NFL draft, I am in the back, um, and we set up more or less a photo booth for all of the, the recent draftees, and we are the first stop when they, after they get drafted, where they see their family, and we take a huge family portrait of every single guy that gets drafted that, that night, if they're in person um, at the event. And then it's just kind of like a thank you gift we send to them after the fact. Um, those images then tend to get used for promotional purposes. You know, we're, we, we do things at the kindness of our heart, but there's other underlying uh, uses for these images. And mainly it's we promote the, uh, the event next year. We use fan imagery that we shoot that day to promote different events that happen around one center event. Like one thing that the NFL is really good at is we have one main event, but there are several different components to that event, and we're all about the fans. So fan photography is huge for us, and I'm sure you deal with uh, licensing and commercial use of people's likeness. We have to make sure that all of our fans sign releases um, so that we can basically not be sued. <laughs> so yeah. that's a huge part. And Pro Bowl is a bit different. Uh, just because I don't cover a lot from the game perspective. It's really about the fan photography that we get so that we can then promote that uh, event next year and get more fans to come out. One of the things that's interesting for the WWE is that when we photograph an event, similar to the events you're talking about, um, a lot of fan access events and, and, and the actual wrestling events like WrestleMania and things like that, 
we use a lot of those images to promote the same event the following year. We also use a lot of it to build on, this is what it looked like in Dallas. This is what it could look like if we're in Toronto. And we'll present it to Toronto and, and so forth and say, do you have a facility that will fit this kind of uh, you know, layout? And we'll use the photographs as evidence to show the type of uh, event we're trying to cover. This is beyond the wrestling event itself. This is all the auxiliary events, like you said. Are you utilizing the events like for cities down the line to be able to look at and try to build a similar situation or build on it, make it even better and so forth? Yeah, definitely. Like um, our events, I'm assuming, are similar to WWE events where they take up these huge footprints within the city. And so a lot of some of the photography that we get, we do use for planning. Um, I think at this point, we know where Super Bowl is going to be up until the year 2022, I think, give or take. My life has been planned for me for the next, you know, three to four years. You have Los Angeles uh, next year, right? No. So Los Angeles got moved because the stadium was not going to be ready. Oh, okay. And so the new rollout would be we just finished with Atlanta. We're going to Miami next year. We're going to Tampa and then we're going to Los Angeles. So, um, and Miami's already in the bag. We've actually shot those assets. We shot them this past October, and we work on about a year, a year, and year and a half uh, timeline. Right. And so those assets were released to the world the day after Super Bowl wrapped in February. Probably next, we'll start thinking about that come May. So we work pretty far ahead. Do you guys do that same? Like, how's the rollout in your calendar events with the WWE? Well, I think they hold it a little closer to the vest, too, because we make it a kind of a bigger event in itself that we've announced this is the next place we're going to have a WrestleMania, for instance. It's in New York this year. Oh. In April, this year it'll be in, in New York City. It's a giant stadium, or, mm -hmm. or MetLife Stadium, actually. Um, so it's local this year for us, but the next year when they roll that out, they'll have a press conference and they say next year in 2020 it's going to be at whatever city it's going to be in. So we kind of wait and build it up and do it kind of as an event itself. There may be somebody that knows. Obviously somebody knows, not necessarily me or am I allowed to say, but it, it's kind of kept a little bit closer than the Super Bowl. But it's a similar situation in that we come into a town and we're there for a good week or so. Now there's two weeks between the last playoff game and the Super Bowl, but you're really only in that town the second week. So like it's a week really you're in the city of Atlanta. We're the same kind of thing for a WrestleMania. We come in Monday, Tuesday, we start events right away. A lot of them are community service driven. Um, we do a lot of Make-A-Wish events. Uh, we do um, a lot of anti-bullying campaigns. We do with Boys and Girls Clubs. Um, uh, Special Olympics and a lot of community schools and things like that. So we do a lot of that while we're in town, building up to the events itself, which is the WrestleMania. WrestleMania itself is at a stadium, the venue we would use as a stadium, like a football stadium. We also have a show on Saturday, which is NXT TakeOver. We also have a show on Monday and Tuesday, which is Raw and SmackDown, our regular TV shows. Those venues, as an example, would be somewhere more like the Barclays Center, where the Nets play. Uh, it's a slightly smaller audience, about you know, 15,000 or 18,000, whatever, whereas Giant Stadium holds about 80,000. So when we were in Dallas, for instance, because obviously a wrestling ring takes up far less room than a football field, and then we fill in all that area with seats, we had 101,000 people at, the, at that venue, wow. which, is, which is a lot. Uh, considering, you know, it doesn't hold that many for a football game because mm -hmm. the football stadium is configured differently. But it's that same stadium, 101,000 people is a lot of people to come to one wrestling event on a, on a Sunday. You yeah, know? that's a lot. So we're there for the whole week in the same way, and we're promoting it heavily. 
we use a lot of the imagery for signage. There's banners on street poles throughout the city, which is the same thing for the Final Four, the Masters, the World Series, and certainly for the Super Bowl. So we use images, but I'm more likely going to use images to promote the brand itself. Mm -hmm. So we create this content for the WWE throughout the globe, all over the world. We're, we're photographing events all over. Everything from actual wrestling events, the actual action, um, to studio work where we, we pose our, our um, talent and so forth and our superstars in character and their gear. And we photograph in a studio setting. And then we do a lot of those community service type events I'm talking about. And we use them, they're designed internally by the WWE, which is this amazing creative service department um, run by uh, my boss, Stan Stansky. And it's uh, this department churns out amazing work and it promotes the brand. And then that work is then used externally as we go to a city to promote that event. It's on the side of our tour buses. It's on the side of the venue itself. It's on the scoreboards. It's on the signs. It's at the airport when you fly in just as it is for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. If you fly into Atlanta, you can't be off the plane 10 seconds without seeing a sign, welcome, home of the Super Bowl, right? Very true. We're the same. <laughs> Very we're the, true. We're the same exact yeah. way. So how does that dictate the artwork <laughs> that you create for when you do know who what the outcome of the matches will be? It matters, matters not. Which, whichever the direction the, the event's going, it's it's... That kind of doesn't enter in the equation at all. What we're doing is we're, we approach it as, and it took me a while to get my head around this when I first started because I came from sports, uh, Sports Illustrated for many years, New York Times Sports Department many years, uh, the White House, which is a different sport altogether. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I, you know, I come from following these sports events, and now I'm not at a sporting event. I'm at a TV show. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is just covering a TV show. Whatever happens we just cover it. We document it. It doesn't matter whether somebody knows or doesn't know. We're just documenting what's in front of us. It doesn't really, it doesn't really change the tra trajectory of what my photographers are doing. Mm -hmm. They know who's going to be in the match, and they kind of have some idea of what's going on. But really, it's just a matter of documenting uh, no different than if we were on the set of any other TV show. Characters move around from different parts of the set. Mm -hmm. Somebody has five minutes of speaking. Somebody has two minutes of speaking. It's, it's that kind of thing. That's cool. No, I the one way that football like affects me, like the playoffs, because then it really does start to dictate my life. Um, and so what we do at a lot of our, uh, particularly Super Bowl, the we have these huge ninety foot uh, images of the teams that are of the players on the teams that are in the Super Bowl, and that's just guesswork, right? And. We start, for the past couple of years, we, we can always count on the Patriots to at least make it to the playoffs. <laughs> Where they land, yeah. you know, I can't dictate, but we know that they'll be in the playoffs at some point, right? So we can start retouching Tom Brady images in, like, September and it's, be covered. It's pretty evergreen, exactly. Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, but everything else, it's super reactionary. And so for the last couple of... The last two weeks of January, the first two weeks of January and the last few weeks of December, I am sitting there watching TV like a hawk, trying to figure out what teams are going to make it and who and who goes where determines like our art. For instance, the Cowboys, right? We have, all right, let me back up. The teams are, they switch from who's the home and who's away every year, right? Mm -hmm. And that determines what color jerseys are the players will have on on the field and also in the images. So we start gathering this artwork. But if your home team jersey is white, for instance, the Cowboys, it can really affect me if that is your home. If it's your year to have home field advantage, yeah. 
versus, you know, and so I have to dictate all these things. So I am a fan purely based on how much work it will cause me, depending upon who wins, right? Like, I come in, I tell my boyfriend, I tell my boss, this is who we're voting for this week. You cannot stray from that. The team needs this. He's a huge Cowboys fan. He did not appreciate the sentiment that I was rooting against his team. But I was like, for the sake of the department, and unless you want to pay a ton more in man hours, we need the Cowboys to go down. But it's it's interesting. It changes the way that you watch the game, right? Because I watch the game from a perspective of, oh, that logo may or may not be right. And then also, like... Um, from the perspective of this is how this could work, this shot could work on whatever we're doing. So does, and I say all that to say, does that affect how you watch matches? Do you watch wrestling now? I do, yeah, for sure. I watch the Monday and uh, Tuesday shows. I tend to watch those uh, okay. for the most part. I mean, we have a pay-per-view once a month, mm-hmm. and I tend to watch those too because I, you know, I want to know what's going on and what happened. And you can also, if you follow enough sports or TV or whatever, you can watch something, you know, oh, there's the photo. That's the best photo of the day. You kind of know. You don't even have to see the photo. You know that's the play of the game, for mm-hmm. instance, or whatever. And we have the same kind of things. Um, ours is a little different because we don't necessarily know this far out everyone that's participating in WrestleMania, and it's in April. Mm. So I don't know yet. I have a couple of matches that they've announced on TV, this person versus this person. So we start to collect art on those people. Um, and try to gather art for them because we're going to need that type of stuff to advertise and promote the the matches themselves. Mm-hmm. And we're going to need different kind of art than we needed before those matches came up. Um, so as those things are kind of announced, and they're only given to me as they know it. I mean, I I don't know way ahead of time by any means. I I'm, you know I find out when other people need to know bases find out. And then we start following maybe that talent a little more severely, or maybe we cover some other matches to make sure, or we ask for some studio time with them to get them in to do that type of stuff. That's when that stuff kind of comes in handy. And that's when it dictates who we're shooting and not shooting and stuff. What are some of the like crazier things that you've experienced on set with some of the, the talent? I assume these guys are characters in their own right, so it has to be kind of fun, but probably kind of jarring. Yeah, I've never worked on a TV show before, really. I mean, I've been to a couple, but I've never actually worked on a TV show. So I'm guessing that if you followed, I don't know, whatever, General Hospital all your life, I'm sure all the actors, there's a percentage of them, they go home, they're still that person, which is a little odd. Mm -hmm. But most of them are just who they are, and they play something else on TV. And I think that our talent is very much that. They're characters, and they're character-driven. What we're doing is we're telling a story. It's good versus evil. We have people, and they just, they create this soap opera kind of show, and it's all centered around wrestling. We just use a physical activity in order to kind of get to our goals. Which side is going to win? Is this guy going to triumph over this guy and this woman over this woman, et cetera? We just happen to use wrestling as the catalyst instead of a, a plot for a, in a hospital or whatever. So it's the same kind of storytelling. That's what we're doing is telling a story and entertaining from week to week. Um, but when they come into the studio, they are that character. When they take off the makeup or they take off the, the clothes and they put on their jeans and their T-shirts or whatever they wear, they're just people. So they tend not to be uh, anything other than the character when they're in there. I found them all to be almost always across the board, pretty easy to work with and pretty pretty easygoing and pretty professional. And they're all in on, on what we do, which is we're a company, we're selling a product, you're the product, 
And if you buy into it and people believe you, they're going to like you and it's, it's better for everybody. It's an upside for everybody if they do. So I think most of our characters are pretty much, and our talent is pretty much into that. So we don't really run into anything too dramatic or too big or anything. And, you know, it's, it's a little odd sometimes to be seeing a lot of grown men and what <laughs> wrestling trunks look like walking right. around. It's also incredibly um, humbling mm -hmm. <laughs> because I can't wear enough layers of clothes <laughs> when I'm around them. <laughs> You know, I mean, because they're all like incredible shape. Right. The men and the women and everybody on the show. I mean, they're, these are amazing. Whatever you say about it, they're still physical specimens mm -hmm. and they're incredibly talented athletically. And when they're walking around or they're part of the show, you're, yeah, you're a little self-conscious about it. There's no doubt that's part of the equation. Well, I mean, they look different <laughs> than they look on TV, right? And so it's like when you see them in person, like because I've experienced this with football players. Yeah. You see them in person, and it doesn't quite, you don't quite get how big they are until you meet them, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. I didn't realize you were like six foot seven and solid muscle, right? Like it, it takes you back a little bit, yeah. and it makes, it for me, I'm five foot four woman. Like, I just feel very small. And then I'm like trying to tell you what to do on set. And, you know, but same, yeah. like, I don't run into too many guys that are that are uh, handfuls. I have some stories. But these guys are stars, right? Like, and you, you're, you're guys yeah. too. Like, they're personalities that come with this. And, and they're and, the best at what they did. And we have a number of them that have cross pollinated into other parts of pop culture, you mm -hmm. know. Um, the Rock is probably the biggest name of all as far as people from our group of the pro wrestling world who's gone on to Hollywood, for instance, and he's a massive star, Dwayne Johnson is. Um, John Cena's heading that direction. He's, a, he's in movies all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and we have others who do things here and there. So, I mean, it's not uncommon for them to do other things um, and kind of go over. They don't just wrestle and so forth. But, yeah, they're, first of all, they're very imposing. They're very big. <laughs> and they're half naked. So that's right. always always something that you have to kind of skirt around. <laughs> but uh, um, for the most part, they're just, you know, they're playing a character. They're, they stay in good shape. They're, they are on the road traveling together constantly, mm -hmm. similar to the football teams, you know, and you build this kind of inner camaraderie, which you and I are kind of a part of, but not really a part right. of. It's, a, it's a kind of on a peripheral level. Um, where we fly in and need something, and then we leave again. But the ones who travel together, they they build kind of this bond together. That's it's it's kind of interesting. I have one of the benefits of when I fly in and do things. I have a suit on, so they know that it's oh, this is somebody from the corporate office, and I mm -hmm. need to kind of pay attention. And that helps a little bit sometimes. Like so, that's my costume is <laughs> <laughs> I wear a suit. Um, but it, it does help, and you need some authority because uh, I. I don't find them to be as difficult as a certain percentage of pro athletes were. Mm -hmm. Partly because I think that the pro athletes get to dictate more of what they want to do and not want to do with regards to that. The team can tell them certain things, but I think for the most part, pro athletes, if they don't want to do something, they don't have to do it. Right. You know, if somebody asks for an interview, yeah, they, they don't do. have to give it to them. Yeah. But I think our team is much more all in, and that's part of why they're there. So hardly anybody says no to stuff because that's part of what we do. Mm -hmm. It's all part of that process. So I, it's a lot easier to go with. So, What are some of the challenges that you experience when you're producing shoots for the WWE, right? Because as you've mentioned, you guys are kind of like a roaming show. Yeah. Whereas, like, there is no set wrestling ring. There's, like, is there a home base? Is there some place that you guys always end up? Because, like, if I need to do a shoot at a football stadium, I can go across the water to MetLife, and it's going to be there, and it's always going to be there. 
But so how do you constantly have to like construct this world and how does that affect the production value of what you're able to produce? I would say the biggest obstacle becomes too many asks and too many uh, people pulling them from uh, asking for the same exact thing within our company. I need you to give an interview. I need you to do a radio show. I need you to sit for photos. Mm -hmm. I need you to uh, pose for an action figure or whatever it is. They, they're being asked to do a lot of things. I'm just one of those things they're being asked for. Um, we will catch up to them wherever they are in, on the globe. So that's how it works for us. Every Monday and Tuesday at Raw and SmackDown and every pay-per-view, which is basically once a month, we set up a makeshift studio in that venue. So we don't have a home office. I can't constantly keep going up to Foxborough to shoot Tom Brady, and when he shows up, he shows up, mm -hmm. but he'll always come there. I'm always at I'm in San Jose and then St. Louis and then Minneapolis and Milwaukee trying to catch up to him as he is in that city. So we make arrangements and we try the best we can to coordinate with them. This Tuesday, I need you in this city to come into studio for five minutes to shoot this certain kind of photo. And I make that arrangements with a group called Talent Relations that works with the talent and coordinates their schedules and so forth, plus the talent directly. We try to work with them. Um, but it's really, we will just catch up to them in whatever city. We never stop. We're 52 weeks out of the year. We're on the road. And we do four or five shows or whatever number it is, some on TV, most of them even not on TV all over the country and all over the world, every, like almost every day we have a wrestling show, like five days a week there's a wrestling show somewhere. Holy shit. We're just not always on TV. <laughs> that is a lot. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. That's 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 crazy. Yeah, I mean, they're in cities all the time, and, they, and they're constantly working. So we will just, we'll work with them. I'll accommodate their schedule. If it works best, St. Louis, February 19th, then we'll be in St. Louis, February 19th or whatever, you know. Wow. We, will, we will work with them. But there is not necessarily a home base per se. And we have an office, the corporate offices are in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Rarely is there, the talent doesn't go there day to day by any means, they don't have offices or anything. You know, they all live somewhere else and they catch a flight somewhere for three or four days and they come back home. Orlando, LA, yeah. wherever they live, you know. That's no, cool, yeah. It's not necessarily in Connecticut. I'm assuming you get that question. I get, one of the number one things I get asked is how often do I see players, right? And because I work in our headquarters office, it's not often. And it's like players are not just walking the halls, right? But people people tend to think that you're just around players 24-7. And, yeah. and occasionally somebody will pop in and you're like, oh. And then we do have like um, former players that work here. But it's a lot less fanfare than yeah. I think people people think. I think ESPN kind of ruined it for all of us with those TV commercials where the ta where the athletes are walking around the office <laughs> right. and making copies or whatever, and they're really funny commercials. But people made it look like they worked in the office and stopped by, and obviously yeah. they didn't. And uh, no, ours, I, you know, I, I can count them on one hand the talent I've seen in our building. I just it's not something to do because they live somewhere else and they mm -hmm. travel. And they're on the road all the time. But we will accommodate whatever's best for them. So wherever they are, that's where we'll go. So how has your background prepared you for this work? Like if you're, you're 52 weeks, like you're working constantly, and it sounds like you have like an army of people that work for you in mm -hmm. various countries and various states yep. to accomplish all of this. So how did you get prepared? Like how did, how did life prepare you for this? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe my uh, father moving around the Navy helped prepare a little bit as far as the logistics go moving every year. Um, but uh, I, I went to college for photography, specifically I went to University of Florida and I studied photography at the University of Florida. So 
uh, it was the basic background that anybody could have had. But I immediately moved to New York City the minute I graduated, and I started working pretty much editorial from the beginning. I worked for a French news agency, a textbook company, and then I got into Time Inc. and worked for Sports Illustrated. So I would say if you work for one of those companies like like Time Inc. or the New York Times, one thing you have to bring to the table is a database of photographers, and they have to be all over, mm-hmm. and they have to be people you trust and people you want to work with and people that, uh, that can work with you and you like their work and they're talented, et cetera. And you collect that that database, that Rolodex or whatever it is that you want to call it. And you bring that with you, and that's part of um, uh, it's part of the assets you're bringing with you. It's not mm-hmm. just you. You're kind of bringing this invisible group with you. And it just grows over the years, right, that same group. And so that group, not, I've used a lot of the same people I used at Sports Illustrated and the New York Times since I came to the WWE. Not on a regular basis because we already had a core group in place, our um, uh, director of photography for the for the actual chief photographers. Um, he runs the, the actual photographies, and I oversee that group, but he runs the photographers as far as assigning them and setting them off into the places they're going. John Giamundo, he lives out on Long Island, and then he travels all over the country, right? He's already got his photographers in place because it's a specialized skill set to be able to stand at ringside mm-hmm. on a headset during a television show <laughs> and being talked to by producers about what you're supposed to be doing. And there's a cameraman there, and you're photographing what essentially is kind of a sporting event, but it's a TV show. Mm-hmm. So your sporting event, you shoot whatever you shoot, and if TV gets in the way, then you just argue for a minute and you move on. But we can't have that. You know, it's a TV show. So we only have so many people that are really good at that part. So I've brought some people in who can shoot, say, a little further away, like Mm -hmm. a hard camera position. They shoot more overalls, and those tend to be the people I've used before. So bringing them with me has helped a lot, um, introducing them to our sport and our our TV show and and, uh, our product and everything. So I think that that part has helped me kind of see the WWE not as this overwhelming beast that I could never tame because it's too big, but it's... It's just every week there's another show. If you don't get too far behind, it's like anything else. As long as you're organized and you can see ahead and you can see the bigger picture and you can pick out, this is the Super Bowl, this is WrestleMania, this is bigger than the game in August, Mm -hmm. and this is bigger than a match in September, right? As long as you can see that kind of thing, then it it starts to lay itself out like like a chess game, you know, and it's a little bit easier to kind of do. And we do a lot of work overseas, I tend to try to send people from our main group here whenever possible. Occasionally, we have to hire people um, in those countries as well. But uh, it's, it's kind of a mix of everything. So, yeah. And your background, when you started out, what was the first type of job you had? Was it editorial or was it more for marketing? Or what? where did you, did you major in photography? I did. I did. I majored in photography at um, FIT. So I have an associate oh, from here FIT. In here in the city. Yeah, right. I moved kind of similar to you. I mean, I didn't travel around a lot as a child, but I I moved from Atlanta literally a month after I graduated from high school, moved here to New York for college, and just never left. My mother was not happy about it, but, you know, (laughs) it happened. Um, And then I worked. I I started. have an editorial background. I started in magazines. I worked at Women's Health. Uh, That was my very first uh, job out of college. And from there, I just kind of hopped around to a couple different magazines and around 2010, I wanted to start getting a little more into video 
and um, diversifying my skill set a little bit. Um, so I started working. I had a very brief stint at websites, and I was like, okay, this is a lot of work. Like I was, right. th- I was thinking I would make transition into like e-commerce. But what I learned was the internet just doesn't stop. It doesn't shut off. There's no hard print deadlines. There's it's just it just keeps going and going. And at that time, it was just about people were like, just let's just get content. We don't care necessarily what it was, but it, you know they didn't have like the taste level that I wanted. Um, and then from there, I segued into working with brands. And so I worked at Harry Winston for a couple years, which is jewelry and diamonds. Um, oddly enough, on their e-commerce side. But then I started doing more, like, um, produced videos and things like that. And then I got my job here at the NFL, which was kind of a culmination of a little bit of everything. Um, I know we talked about, like, the f- football being, like, a little, at least amount of what I do. And it's true because we, we do a little bit of everything, right? Like, I've had several lifestyle shoots since I've been here, jewelry shoots. We do a ton of still life shoots. And we do a lot of, like, um, architecture and location shoots, um, some model stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of produced shoots that happen, um, because we fall into this like gray area, uh, because we're the league and we, if we're not talking about one specific team, we have to talk about all 32 of our teams. So there's a lot of, um, generic photography that happens and that's like an art in itself. I also have learned way more about football than I ever thought I would (laughs) from working (laughs) here, but it's real fickle. Like if you dive into it too much, it'll fall apart, right? Like, But, you know, you learn the body types. And so my background in, um, from fitness magazines actually helped with that. So like you, I actually brought, a, you know, just kind of like the knowledge and like people with me that I used to shoot with or like model agencies. That actually helped a lot. Like right. fitness models, right? Like we still hire a lot of those guys because they have the body type of football players and I just don't show your face. So it kind of works out and I can spot like a running back build like nobody's business these days. Um, so it, it, it kind of helped prepare me from that. And then like jewelry, we ha- we do this shoot with the Super Bowl rings every year. Big rings. That's one of my claim to fame. So I've tried on every single Super Bowl ring. Some fit on two fingers. Fun fact. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, it, it just helped prepare me for that. Like, I, I know a lot of different photographers and a lot of different genres, um, and it kind of helped culminate this position that I'm in now, which is a fairly new position to the league. So the uh, girl I replaced was actually a photographer, and while I have a photography background, I don't shoot. Right. Um, and then they decided that the department needed a little more structure and a little more management, and so they needed someone to feel more of like a producer-manager role, which is what I segued into. And then from there, we've just expanded what we produce here. Um, I know you can't see the room you're sitting in, but this is one of our ad campaigns for our home-gating line, right? Because you <laughs> imagine we sell every product imaginable, um, and so we produce a lot of shoots for that stuff too. Uh, so it's kind of like a nice little mixture of everything. Yeah. And sports photography is probably one of the least uh, amount of things that I do it's, on a day-to-day basis. This, it's the same for us. We, we license quite a number of products yeah. as well. It's a massive number. And, and the products that we're on is, is pretty high. And we're shooting stills of those all the time. Well, you mentioned the action figures. And I kind of want to yeah, segue yeah. back into how you pose for an action figure. So. I'll tell you. There's eight points in a 360-degree turn. And we photograph every single talent in those eight points. Oh. And they just go all the way around. And you get their entire body front and back you get if there's appropriate tattoos new gear hair boots etc and that's how they create the action figures that is so cool yeah yeah (laughs) 
And every time something massively changes, maybe your hair changes or you have completely different gear or you wear special gear for a certain match, there's a new action figure. Wow. So, yeah, so we're constantly shooting those 360s. That's and, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited that I know there's eight points in a 360-degree <laughs> photograph. Do you have a special rig for that? or like? No, they do it right in the, in the studio. They just... they turn they they come in it's quite pavlovian actually they just stand there and immediately do the 360 automatically and get it out of the way wow because we use it for a lot of reference things as well but um i wanted to talk about designers and the relationship with designers mm -hmm. a little bit um so it, one of the things that when you're in editorial it your relationship with your designers whoever they are creative directors art directors whatever they're called it wherever you are it could be anything from, like, a really great marriage to, like, the worst relationship ever, mm -hmm. right? And it's, like, the single white female relationship from that movie, which was horrible. <laughs> or it could be, like, this really wonderful marriage, mm -hmm. right? And I've had both. We've all had both, I think, at some point. Sometimes it's incredibly territorial, and sometimes it's incredibly collaborative mm -hmm. and, and respectful. And those are the ones you just wish you have all the time. And when you have it... You embrace it, right? Mm -hmm. I had that at the New York Times. Wonderful designers. Great to work with. Very respectful. We all worked together. Same product. It was it was the best. Now I'm at the WWE. They have these uh, really talented designers, a number of them. Um, the, the head of the, the groups, uh, the various groups, they get together, and they have ideas, and they have to constantly come up with these ideas. So to some degree, we have mood boards, mm -hmm. which I'm unfamiliar with the term completely, <laughs> but let's just call them storyboards sure. and say they're kind of the same thing. And we will map out how we want somebody to kind of pose or how we want them to kind of um, uh, look. It's, mm -hmm. it's a look. Now, we have to some degree, it's not all over the map at the WRBE. The, the talent, I mean, the, the template for it is relatively stable. But we still have to find the art because we're always bringing in new talent, just as you're always bringing in new players. Mm -hmm. The only thing that doesn't change for you and me is generally the logo for the WWE and the logo for the NFL mm -hmm. is the same. Our, um, our, the equivalent of our teams are the pay-per-views. Mm -hmm. All your the Cardinals logo looks like it did ten years ago, as does the Rams. You know, what I mean, they all kind of look the same. It's the players that keep regurgitating mm -hmm. and get new ones in, new old ones out, and. Wrestling talent is no different. It's any other sport. People come, people go. So as they come in and I'm working with the designers, which I enjoy that collaboration because they have ideas and they're very, if they're very sure of what they want, that's a, a great opportunity for me because I've always looked at my job as providing content for someone to figure out how to use it mm -hmm. within, the, within the context that's going to be used. Sometimes it was me as a photo editor putting in a magazine. Sometimes it's working with an art director who has a bigger scale to work with, right? But my job is to provide that content to them. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not on the same page with them, it doesn't work at all. Now I am with the WWE art directors just because that's who they are and it's easy to work with. How does that work for the NFL? Do you have art directors or creative directors that you have to work with? We do. So our, our department is set up where we, we have our VP of creative, right? And under him, there are three art directors and myself project management, and then we have a production uh, director. So it's funny because it's, it's managing personalities, right? That's what I told you. It's about managing personalities. I have three art directors that think very differently, plus my creative director that thinks differently, and I have to work with all of them. And so how I work with them depends on 
who they are and how we kind of get along. Like you mentioned, you have, I have that one art director that I gel with. Like we work, we yeah. actually argue quite a bit, but there's a mutual respect there. And we know that it's just about ideas and we want to create the best work possible. Yeah. I have another art director that fully trusts my opinions and my recommendations. And he's like, great, go with it, do it. And then I have one art director that, you know, I tend to clash with quite a bit. And it's more of a territorial, you know, thing. And it's been a it's been a learning curve for me, right? Because you have to, in a professional setting, you have to stay professional. And then, you, again, you have to manage these personalities. And we still have to get the work done. Um, and you want to stay here. And I want to stay, right? Yeah. So I have to, it's delicate how I handle that situation yeah. and it's still be able to do what I want to do. And so it's, a, you know, it's, it's, you know, you navigate it. But the end goal for everybody is we we know we all have to create the best thing ever, right? And we have to reinvent that wheel every year. Like, once the season is over, it's like a clean slate, and then we have to do it again, but bigger, better, faster, right? right. Um, and then we also have, a, a uh, like, a ton of designers that work here, right? Mm -hmm. So each art director, I think, has, like, three or four designers that work under them to actually create the work, like the actual like um, tangible assets that are needed, mm -hmm. whether it's street pole banners, uh, fence wraps, program right. covers, you name it. Um, I myself have a team of three people. I have a retoucher, a photographer, and a motion graphics designer. Um, and then we all just have to, you know, work together. And so... It's a delicate balance. Um, it's it, it can be high-stress yeah. situations, and we all have a lot of content that we're creating, and it all needs to kind of look and feel in the same vein. You know, it's about trust, right? Like, I need... Yeah. I feel like I can't necessarily do my job effectively if you don't trust me to, you know, do it and vice versa. Right. And so once you build that trust up with that person, then you're able to work in a more much more seamless way. Um, and so... But yeah, that's kind of how we're set up. And our creative director is pretty great because he, you know, he has to keep the big picture in yeah, mind, right? right? Where this is one event, one day, but once Super Bowl is over, it's done. It's almost like like my very first Super Bowl was Super Bowl 50, and I worked on it for two years. It was a big one. It was a 50th anniversary. That Monday, it was over, and I was like, wow, this is two years of my life, and it's done. San Jose. Right? Like, it, it, just, it happens. Yeah. So, um, so you have to always kind of keep the big picture, and it's helped me stay big picture and not get super granular, you know, because we have yeah. to look at these things in a way where it needs to work on the side of a building, but it also needs to work the size of a postage stamp. And so yeah. we have to work smart, we have to be efficient, and we got a lot of stuff to get done in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. So I think the similarities are pretty pretty stunning actually yeah. between the two of us because it's it, it's it's very similar in that we have multi-layers of photographers with different skill sets, people mm -hmm. that can shoot still life for food and people that can shoot action. I have the same thing. Mm -hmm. And we have the same type of people that art direct everything from billboards in the city because when we come to WrestleMania, there's going to be the side of some building going to have a big photo on it that mm -hmm. we produced, but some art director figure out how it goes onto a building and it's big. And there's also going to be those small things that goes on the ticket, mm -hmm. you know, the commemorative ticket that's very small. So we do that with that's where that relationship with the art directors is paramount. And mm -hmm. I find the most important thing for me is communicating with them and staying up with their needs mm -hmm. because they're always in need of photographs, but they don't always necessarily communicate, 
hey, I'm going to be needing these photographs ahead of time. They just know that they're going to, and we have to keep producing it. So mm. the more, this is the one thing that WWE does really well is we have a lot of meetings, and I'm not making fun of it. I'm using it as like uh, an opportunity to say it's very helpful mm. because I can keep up. I don't want to sit in a silo in my office and just kind of work by myself. That's called a freelancer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to be doing that because mm -hmm. I work for this company and we have to be working together. So having that communication with the art directors about what they need, are they happy with it, do they want to go in a different direction, and so forth, and finding out what not only do they like it, but what is it they don't like about things mm -hmm. and working with creative people on that end. Because at the end of the day, that's our job is to give them the art that they yeah. need. And they have somebody to answer to. That yeah. VP that you talked about, I'm sure he or she is, is helping pick the images. Mm -hmm. But somebody else eventually is the one that decides it. Yeah, we're going to spend the money to put it on the side of a building. Well, let me ask you this. In terms of, like, how much conceptual stuff do you guys do, right? Because if I think, I think about my knowledge of the WWE, I'm thinking pyro. I'm thinking pretty heavily, you know, like a lot of effects and stuff like that. So where's the line that you draw between when an art director comes and tells you, like, this is what we want to do? And then you look at your budget and you're like, no, but here's what we're going to do. And this is how we can make it work. Like, how do you balance that out? Well, the things like the pyro, all that type of thing only comes, that's a stage setting for the TV. Whatever okay. TV does, I'll document it. Mm -hmm. And if they have fireworks, we'll shoot the fireworks. If they don't, then they don't. Mm -hmm. So whatever they're able to do on the TV show, we'll certainly document it and cover it. The, the budget kind of comes into when... Uh, it becomes a budgetary issue when we want to do something in a studio with an outside photographer and we have to fly a lot of talent in. And that's that's when I have to really restrict my budget mm -hmm. because I'm already at that show that I told you about every Monday and Tuesday so I can get people in there. The budget issue becomes when things stop in the middle of nowhere and I need to shoot somebody and fly somebody in. And that's when I really need to kind of worry about like budget type issues mm -hmm. or not necessarily worry about them, but consider them and try to work around them in a different way. And if there's a way we can do it while the show's going on, that's always a, a, an easier way to go about that. Mm -hmm. But pretty much anything that the WWE art directors need a photograph of, we probably have already photographed it. Mm. It may not be exactly how they want it, so we may mm -hmm. go out and try to improve on it, but at least we have a catalyst to start with and so forth, you know. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's kind of uh, the benefit of it is that we have over six and a half million images in our oh, database wow. right now. Yeah, and I mean, we're constantly, you know, obviously adding to that mm -hmm. constantly. And so therefore, you know, there's a lot of images to choose from. And like any great photo editor, which, you know, now I oversee the photo editors, but my photo editors are really good at remembering what's in there. It's mm -hmm. all institutional memory when it comes to that stuff. You might, you can look under what keywords you want, but at the end of the day, you have to remember a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And they're really good at tying, this is for this group. And we have different audiences. Mm -hmm. If it's for a business community, it's a completely different photo than if it's for the wrestling community. Mm. For sending photos out for like a wrestling magazine or something, that's very kind of, you know, meat and potatoes. They want certain type of thing. Business community probably wants like the big spectacle, you know, which is the fireworks and the grand entrance and to show it's a big business and it's a big huge entertaining company you know I think you're yeah you know, I definitely agree with you when you say overlap right because a lot of the ways that we describe our events are it's the spectacle of the yeah. game of the event like it's a massive production yeah. right and then 
you have the more the different audiences. The way that we market to our avid fans is very different the way we market to our, ca- our casual fans right. or like uh, when I talk about like our ad shoots for like our license like our licensed product, yeah. right? Like our market, we're we're never going after our avids because we already have them, right? Mm-hmm. But how we market to that that casual fan, that more upscale fan, it really, you know, makes you start to think about like you don't want necessarily the stereotypes, right? Yeah. Like when we show right. fans, they're For usually sure. not the people who are faces are all painted up and things like that because those guys, we know who you are. We love you. We appreciate you. But we have you. And we need the casual kind of like your everyday girl going to a game. Yeah. It's like, you, but you're a fan and we need to show people that you're a fan. We have the so. same thing. I, I think at the end of the day, our audience ideally is mm-hmm. a couple of adults and a couple of kids and maybe a grandparent, too, are thrown in there. I mean, it's a family um, event to come to. That's how we look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, in its current state in 2019, it's family entertainment. And it's the same group that could have spent the money to go to Great Adventure and spent the day at a theme park. But instead, they come to one of our shows, and they have a few hours of the show, and they enjoy this live show and this theater that goes on. It's very entertaining. As as one of my bosses always says, she says our job is to put smiles on people's faces, and that's really what we're there for, you know, is to kind of entertain people. And we take a lot of photographs and use a lot of photographs to present that exact image. Mm-hmm. And it's not hard because it happens every day, every mm-hmm. event we do. It kind of, you know, that ha- it's right in front of you. We just have to kind of go take it. They're huge. I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped from doing a photo shoot at some stadium because WWE was there. And I'm like, really? Because I need to do it this week, this weekend. And, you know, once the football season over, it's kind of a free-for-all for, like, the space. And so yeah. trying to get into some of our stadiums yeah. after the season, there's usually some sort of wrestling event happening yeah. that is holding off my photo shoot yeah. or there's no field or it's come up. Like, so I've been... I've experienced the aftermath of you guys a few times. That whole thing of the people that plan out where we're going to be and the events that they do and the stadiums they go to, that's obviously a whole different job than mine. And it's the last job I would ever want because <laughs> right. it's just so big and massive. I'm going to go completely different direction right now. So when you were starting out in the business and in photography, name like two or three photographers that you really admired that really got you inspired to be in photography. Um, well, when I was in high school, I was a pretty big Gordon Parks fan, mm-hmm. right? Um, go, just coming from, like, I'm, I'm a black woman, and coming from that perspective, I just mm-hmm. really love the way that he photographed black people. And to this day, I do think it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a good skill set to have because you, you can't necessarily photograph them the same way, not all of them, but you know, mm-hmm. some of them, the same way as everybody else. And I just, so I loved Gordon Parks photography. And so then when I actually, when I worked with Sarah, Sarah Rosen, I learned a lot about more of the commercial side of things, mm-hmm. right? And so we used to do a lot of work with, um, was, there was like a woman, Andrea Barb, who was on our, and I was like, I thought that she was like super cool, right? And then I was really into music photography um, at that time too. And so I, I loved me some George Pitts. Um, so I used to was, work with George Pitts. Oh, that's cool. That's super cool. Yeah, I think cool. he worked in the photo collection down in Time Inc. for a while, didn't he? Down wow. the, before he got a job with, um, <laughs> he went upstairs. They brought him out. It literally was in the basement. I'm not making that yeah. up. It literally was in the basement of the Time Inc. building. And George was down there in the collection before he went on this amazing career. And somebody realized how super ridiculously talented he is and what a nice guy he is. Yeah. And luckily they dragged him out of that basement and 
brought him up to the sunlight. Yeah, no, it was cool. <laughs> I had my introduction to him at Vibe. So I did an internship at Vibe, Vibe magazine that was it. Yes. Um, while I was in college. And he was no longer the photo director there, but he had just left. Um, and so a lot of his work was still there. I worked a lot with uh, Leslie De La Vega, and she would show me a lot of his work and things like that. So, and then when I went on to work for Complex, he would shoot sometimes. Um, and he, like when you think about like sexy girl shoots, right? Like they're they they can be kind of cliche, but he used to do it in a way that was like super sophisticated, very refined, and just really awesome. Right. Um, and a little bit of that kind of trickled over to when. I had to start producing those sexy girl shoots myself and how he would photograph the women, and that's how I would go on to kind of select some of the photographers I would choose for that. Right. Ah, uh, that's pretty so, great. Yeah. I used to love William Klein cool. and his street photography. Mm -hmm. was kind of like, I guess, the best way to describe it, kind of uh, anti-authority kind of photography mm -hmm. and stuff. I always liked William Klein's work. It was kind of just... It was just edgy enough for me to pretend I was just edgy enough, <laughs> which <laughs> right, I never, never right. was, never have been, never will be. But um, I, I really, I, I liked it because it just pushed the boundaries of what I thought a photograph was. Mm -hmm. Because my initial photography that I liked, and I'm not making this part up, as a, as a, like a middle school, high school age, right? was Sports Illustrated photography. Mm. I don't know if that counts as a photographer, but I used to, this was before art directors hijacked the magazine and, mm -hmm. and, and covered every possible inch of the photograph with their type and design <laughs> elements. Um, and there was actually just a photograph under there with right. a small little caption of Henry Aaron hitting home run, and that was enough for the rest of us to breathe with. And so I would tear those pages out, and then my wall was covered with these single pages of Sports Illustrated oh, photographs cool. all over my walls. And I just, it didn't matter. Every sport didn't matter. And I loved it. And it was clean, and it was easy. And that led me to another clean and easy, which was Ansel Adams, which mm, was just everything mm -hmm. was perfect yeah. and beautiful. And even if it was in black and white, it mm -hmm. was like, wow, it's just, there's nothing that's not sharp as a tack. Yeah. And then suddenly... You get hit in the head and you look at William Klein and things are jumping at you and they're edgy and they're, they're, they're out of focus mm -hmm. and you're not sure what's happening. You know, it's like you've been spun around in the yard and you're all dizzy and you don't know where you are. <laughs> and that's kind of what William Klein was like, which kind of led me to uh, Mary Ellen Mark and, and her work and that kind of stuff. You know, and I just realized and it took a while to, to realize, oh, there's other opportunities for mm -hmm. photography, not just tack sharp, not just perfectly stylized and perfectly you know, composed. There were other opportunities. And I think that that's what drew me to photography was that I like this one type very easy because very safe and very easy. And I could do that. I can't do that, but I could do that. You know, I could, if I had the right equipment, I could take something similar to an Ansel Adams photograph. Mm -hmm. I could never do a William Klein photo because I didn't fully understand it, you know, and that whole kind of dividing yourself into a, another world like a Mary Ellen Mark or, or, or even Gordon Parks or people who just kind of immerse themselves in mm -hmm. another community or somewhere and you're like, wow, how does that happen? Life magazine and things back yeah, in the day. Definitely. Those are things that really open your eyes and and they make you want to pursue photography even as an editor. I've never been a photographer in my life. I don't want to be a photographer. I'm happy not being. Well, how did you discover like the, the world of editing, right? Because I feel like everybody in this industry has their own kind of like yeah. map that got them to where it is because it's not something that's necessarily taught or even talked about no. that much when you're I think school. they do it occasionally at like a handful of schools mm -hmm. but certainly not on a regular basis so you're kind of it's always a mystery how people find their way there I've always thought they often find their way there the way that school teachers find their way there or coaches find their way there they weren't quite 
doing this that they started out, so it gravitated towards mm-hmm. that, you know. I can't play as well as I thought, so I'll coach, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely. Not, I'm not really a writer, yeah. so I'll teach literature. I mean, it's that kind of philosophy, yeah. I think. And I always thought photo editors were more like that. But mm-hmm. once I got into it, I realized it wasn't the case. And uh, when I moved to New York City, um, I would say the driving force behind it was the fact that I moved here with, like, literally $400 in my pocket and no job. And so the idea of freelancing mm-hmm. was like the most frightening opportunity <laughs> on earth. And I said, no, I'm going to get rejected nine times out of ten as a photographer. I don't know where to live. I don't know how to find food. It was, it was horrible. I, I, I just, like, my stomach was inside out. And I said, I want to get a job as a photo editor or a researcher. And I just, I kind of knew a little about it. But, you know, this was a long time ago. There wasn't quite the network there is today to learn things. Mm-hmm. and. I kind of learned a little about it and figured it out on my own. And once I started doing it, you know what it did? It opened me up to, like, everybody else's photography, Mm -hmm. which was far more exciting than my own photography. And I said, wow. And I'm working suddenly for a French news agency called Sigma with Elian Lafont, right? Mm -hmm. This is, like, some of the great photojournalism on the planet. And I'm, like, some knucklehead looking through every one of these pictures every day. It's like, (laughs) like, you know, it was... uh, kid in a chocolate shop you know it's like oh I couldn't get enough <laughs> and it was so delicious <laughs> and it was wonderful and I I knew that's what I wanted to do and I never turned back and it was like that was that was it I that's liked cool. finding other people's photographs and finding a home for them because that's, cool. that's really what a photo researcher and editor kind of does I guess I mean it sounds like we kind of had a similar way like hunger was the driving force like not like hunger for photography but like literal yeah. hunger right because yeah <laughs> I was coming out of college and it was like all right I guess I gotta get a job and like you I was like I don't know if I could do I don't know if I could support myself just being a photographer like what am how am I gonna eat you know and so I had my internship and I was like there's a whole nother world back here that they are not talking about in college and I could do like I could have like a steady paycheck every two weeks right and I was like this is awesome yeah (laughs) this is I'm gonna do this this is where my focus was did you go to college in Atlanta no I went so I went to FIT here oh I'm sorry Um, you said you went to FIT but you're from Atlanta I'm from Atlanta and then you stayed in New York once you got here never left right correct I moved to New York when I was 18 and I just I have rolled it out like I have only been this is the only place I've ever been an adult I started my first magazine job at 19 and that's kind of like a two-parter, though, because I've watched myself go from the youngest person at places to not the youngest person. Yeah. And I was like, so this must have been kind of how people felt when they work with me. Yeah. When I work with kids that are like 20, and I'm like, this sucks. You were born when? Yeah. You know? and so it's but a bit that, of a that's, that's a good thing, because the, the fact is that it, it, it's a village. There was mm-hmm. some woman, I can't remember her name, said it takes a village. I, I forget she, what her name was, but... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's unemployed at the moment, but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does. It, mm-hmm. This is this is our village. Yeah. Is, is photo people, and somebody had to help you out. Yeah, and somebody helped me out, and now I find myself. My find myself rather. I'm just one person. I find myself. Uh, I do a lot of workshops and things. They tend to be with students mm-hmm. at Eddie um, uh, Adams or the Summit workshops in Colorado. They tend to with, be with younger and students and so forth. And there's a lot of advice to be given, and you find it 
it's good for you to do, or it's good karma for one thing, but it just it just makes you feel good to pass stuff on. Mm-hmm. And I can remember people helping me. I remember the yep. first woman that gave me a job. I remember her vividly giving me an opportunity. And uh, I remember starting out, Kathy Ryan was one of the first people I worked with. I didn't work for her directly, but I worked with her at uh, Sigma. She was at Sigma when I was there, um, before she went to the Sunday Times Magazine, where she's been for like 30 years as a legendary photo editor. And I, you know, I worked for those people, Michelle McNally, Karen Malarkey, all these people. And they all helped you out as you went along, you yep. know? And you, 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 you can't go anywhere on your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of the questions is, like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have somebody who's really talented or somebody who works really hard, you know? I couldn't answer that question because I was just like, honestly, I need you to be both. (laughs) Right? Like, at the end of the day, I need you to work hard and I need you to be good at what you do. Yeah. So. If they're reasonably talented, I can overcome the not greatly talented if they work hard. That's fair. Well, you know, I always tell people, you can't. You can be a jerk if you're really, really good at what yeah. you do. But you cannot be a jerk and be mediocre. No. Right? Because no. then, then you're no, just a jerk. Right. Then you're just a jerk. <laughs> and, like, why am I putting up with this? Yeah. Um, but, no, I agree with you. It takes a village. I have had um, – I've had – I've been very blessed to have a good set of people um, in my life that has helped kind of mentor me along the way, be it, you know, personality, be it skill set, whatever the case may be, and help me hone my eye. Um because you go into these things, and I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I think the photographs I take are awesome. Yeah. But along the way, it's On like... On my phone. Exactly, right? <laughs> um, so, but yeah, you can't do it alone. You're by yourself. And yeah. I've had... And those, those relationships you still have, you know, and... These people go on to do different things, and you take people with you, yeah. right? Like, I, I know I've had some people that I've hired as interns that have gone on to surpass me, and I think it's great because I'm going to come back at some point and right. you need to hire me, yeah. right? So I think, you know, you, you cultivate those relationships and it's really yeah. important. You know, this is similar to the, not to bring it constantly to sports, but why not? So one of the things that happens with coaches is they call it a coaching tree. Mm-hmm. And the particular coach who's very successful generally has assistant coaches who work for a few years and they leave mm-hmm. because they're so good in that program New England being one of those kind of teams um, where people leave all the time and they become head coaches somewhere else. That's how it works. So Mm -hmm. the number of people who became head coaches after working for Bill Belichick is is pretty long. Yeah. You know, and I think that I've worked at magazines and stuff and I look back and think all these people that worked for uh, people I worked for at a magazine, Karen Malarkey and Phil Jackie at Sports Illustrated, there's like a photo director here and one was Maura Foley who became photo director at People Magazine and I became a photo director somewhere and another one did this Mm -hmm. and went here and another one uh, is like the creative director at the Players Tribune right now uh, um, uh, that Derek Jeter started so it's like that coaching tree you know and it's it's, if you are part of that and it doesn't come accidentally somebody's encouraging you isn't and isn't hating you or or against you if you are trying to improve and move forward and find something better they're they're encouraging you you know mm-hmm. and they're they're helping you and if if you can work for somebody who thinks it's a gift that you're able to be a photo director somewhere else and they set you up and helped you out that's where you want to go the people that suppress you and want you to just stay selfishly mm-hmm. forever you know, I mean, it's good to be needed, but that's a little <laughs> psycho, you know, so. So you <laughs> you mentioned the workshops, right? So what's the key yeah. piece of advice that you give the students and people that you meet trying to make it in this industry, right? Because you've obviously been fortunate to see this industry shift 
over, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, put you on blast with your age or anything, but you've seen no. it shift over a number of years. So, so when <laughs> Matthew and Brady and I had lunch. <laughs> <laughs> like, so how did you, how, how do you, like, how do you tell them to prepare or how do you tell them, even give them advice on getting in the industry now, which it's a little more competitive, right? Because yeah. you have the people who are already in the industry yeah. trying to, not necessarily reinvigorate it, but reinvent to the, so that they can sustain themselves yeah. and then also new people coming in. Yeah, this is not your father's Buick, you know, mm-hmm. anymore. It's it's completely different process than when, when I first started. It literally, from not only just from film to digital, but the way everything's done. When, when I started, when Sarah started and so forth, there were magazines. There were mm-hmm. X number of magazines. And if you wanted to work, every photographer could find work within those magazines, for sure. And if not, the newspaper. And then that was kind of it. That mm-hmm. was the only home for your photographs, but there were plenty of those. That obviously isn't the business mo- model anymore, you know? And what I tell photographers now more than anything is uh, um, uh, the two main things is, number one, it's a business. And if you don't treat it as a business, then you're just going to be a really talented photographer laying on your couch, thumbing through channels, wondering why nobody calls you. Mm-hmm. Because you have to behave as if it's a business. And I would advise every photographer starting out not only to learn photography, but to take some business classes. And that's I, I can't stress that enough because the number of talented people who come out and have no idea how to bill or invoice or put a bid in for a job or understand copyright law or understand how to hire assistants and how to present yourself professionally and all these other things that business school might teach you. I'm not saying you have to go through business school, but some business classes, mm-hmm. it's, it's invaluable. You can be as talented as you want, but it doesn't matter if nobody ever sees your photographs. What, what good does it do? So you have to treat it as a business and you have to cultivate a network. It's more important probably than ever to cultivate that network and to take advantage of opportunities of people like you or myself or Sarah going to workshops and teaching and exchanging cards and getting to know them and send emails and say thank you. And it's like, it seems like an age-old kind of thing you should have done all along, mm-hmm. but you'd be surprised how few people take advantage of it. And the ones that do, those are the ones you keep hearing about and they get the jobs. They network, they understand that this is a business, they understand it's global and everybody reaches somewhere else and they become a part of that network and they become part of that and they're constantly updating what they're doing. And I think that that understanding of yourself and that it's a business and it's not just a hobby and it's not just something you decided to do because you couldn't figure out what else to do when you went to college and your mom and dad told you not to be a photographer but you did anyway because you're rebellious <laughs> i mean that's you know there's a lot of great opportunities for photography mm-hmm. there's more now than ever it's just right. not the same as they were before that's all you know that's what's changed it's yeah. just it's just different than it used to be um, I think those are the most important things. And then the second most important thing is, and this is the hardest part, is it has to f- photograph like you. You can't give me somebody else's work. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can't give me something that I could have gotten from somebody else. I mean, the whole point is it doesn't have to be so quirky that it's original. It could just be it, it's a nuance that's, that's sometimes hard to describe. But, you know, if I had three art directors lined up and said, here's four photographs and 600 words, figure out how to lay out the page. There's no way all three of those pages look the same. Mm -hmm. And they all might look wonderful, 
but they are not going to look the same no matter what. It's just not going to happen. It's mathematically impossible. Yeah. It's the same with a photographer. If I put a studio person in there and said, shoot this talent, I have a white seamless, and they're going to stand there, and there's no props, and I want to get a good portrait, and you can use any of these three lights I've left in the room for you. I'll get three different photographs from those people, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what you should get, you know, something that's, that's I hired you because I want you, mm -hmm. you know? So that's the other thing is to kind of create some kind of, something that's unique about you that, that you bring to the table. Yeah, I definitely agree. Style is important and style and I always tell people consistency, right? Because I need to know, especially once I got yes. into the commercial realm, right? Mm -hmm. I'm spending a lot of money on this photograph and I have to answer to people if yeah. it doesn't look like I promised how it would look, right? And so Very there's a matter of your style, but then also you need to be consistent and deliver me what I paid for. Like I want, I want, and I know that is such a crass way to say it when yeah. we're talking about something that's considered art. Right. But like you said, it's a business, and I it's think a transaction. There's a business is. transaction. Yeah. If I ordered this type of car, guess what? I expect this kind of car, mm -hmm. and this is how much money I'm giving you for it. There's no difference than that. I'm giving right. you this money to shoot a photograph for me. I'm giving you cash to shoot a photograph for me. Mm -hmm. I want it to look like this. That's not so hard to digest. Right, but I think a lot of people, when you start, when you deal with stuff in the matter of like that is deemed art, when you when you tack that commercial aspect and that business mm -hmm. aspect on it, people get really uncomfortable. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, we are we're putting our our best work forward, right? Because as a photo editor or photo director or whatever it is you're doing, you're vouching for this person. Oh yeah, and you're vouching for the quality of their work. Yeah, and therefore you need to know that you're going to get a return on your investment. Absolutely. Um, because if it goes bad, it goes bad, and there's fifty k on the line. Like yeah. we got to explain that. I I I accept all of the credit and deflect all. <laughs> Of the, of, the, of, the of the responsibility oh, yeah. of criticism. <laughs> but you're only as good as the photographers you hire. Yep. Number one, I've always said the way to get a good photograph is to hire a good photographer. It's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Number three, it's up to photo editors, photo directors, creative directors, art directors to know who they're hiring. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's up to them to also be responsible. And you can't ask somebody to deliver something they clearly couldn't deliver. That's your fault, too. I agree. And working within that structure, it's everybody has to kind of work together. So yeah. if, if you see somebody's work that you like and enjoy and, and you think this would be compatible, that's the conversation we have with them. This is why I hired you. I love this mm -hmm. kind of work. Not word for word here, but this is the style of work. Now go give me something like this. Yeah, I agree. And on the and you know on the back end, the work you do, right? Like you have to be very clear and concise with people. And you know, I want you to do A, B, and C. Let's not leave anything. Yeah. You know, yes, we can do some creative license here and there. You can do whatever creatively you want to do after yeah. you give me what I oh, ask for. Oh, absolutely. Right? You can play with it, and it might work. Like I've had, and I'm sure you have too. Have many happy mm -hmm. accidents that mm -hmm. happen after the fact that turn out better yeah. than the original photo or the concept that you were going yeah. to get. And those things, you know, they just make they make the job exciting, right? Because you're like, I mean, let's just try it and let's see what happens. And it usually works Absolutely. out. That's where nobody else knows but you and the photographer. That's where you take the credit for it, that <laughs> one, <laughs> that happy accident. Okay. But that does happen. You're right. Yeah. You say, this is what I want, then do what you want. And mm -hmm. once in a while, not often, because... Also, if you've gone into with some kind of conversation with them, you've probably had a conversation with an art director oh, yeah. or a creative person. And once they kind of have their mindset, this is what I'm looking for, more often than not, that's the direction they want to go. And mm -hmm. I get that. That's fine. But once in a while, there will be that special thing that happens out of nowhere. Like, wow, this does work better. And that is exciting. You know, mm -hmm. it's... 
it's why I like the photography because it's not it's never the same from day to day, yeah. you know, and I've been doing this for a long time. It's given me an amazing career. I've made amazing friends. I've traveled all over the world. I've been able to, you know, feed myself <laughs> and not ever have to move back with my mom. That was a big plus. It was one of my goals <laughs> in life. <laughs> it was never to ever have to live with my mom again. And I love my mom, but you know, <laughs> you know, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> but I don't want to live with her. <laughs> my mother gets wind of this. I can't go home for Christmas if I say that. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, I'd like, I've been able to self-sustain because of photography. And I yeah, never was definitely. a photographer. I got into the editing thing on purpose. No regrets whatsoever. It was the best thing ever. So That's cool. Yeah. I think that's like the coolest, coolest thing ever when you feel like you've reached a point Ugh. where it comes full circle. I recently had one of those moments where, um, so I'm from Atlanta, as mm -hmm. I, we've talked about, yeah. and Super Bowl happened to be in my hometown this past year. And I got wind that my high school principal was going to the game. And I got, he's a, he's a cancer survivor, and he was given these tickets mm -hmm. by the Cancer um, okay. Foundation or Association. And we do these things where we call mock tickets, right, where it's not the actual Super Bowl ticket. Uh, it's early, and we don't want it to be counterfeit. So he was holding an image that I had produced, this big giant ticket. We love the big giant tickets. That's what <laughs> we do, right? And he's holding it, and I was like, oh, okay. All right, like, you're holding one of my images. Like, that's... That's kind of cool, right? And so I, I hit him up on Facebook, and I was like, hey, Mr. Sam's is his name. He was great. I got in trouble a decent amount in high school. So we, we know each other each other pretty well. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Mr. Sam's, you're holding my image. And, no you know, red flags there. So. No red you know, <laughs> I, I I will admit it. I will own my teenage ambitions and rambunctiousness. Um but he was like, wait a minute, you, you, you made this image? And I was like, yeah, I made that image. I also made the image that's going to be on the real ticket that you get. And it was this huge, like, 360 right. moment for me. Right. And he was excited. And I was for him. excited. Yeah, it was a pretty great, you know, thing to see. And I think that, to me, is kind of what makes it worth it, right? Because right. I think when you're, in, when you're in your job, your day-to-day, -day, you tend to, you're in it. This is your job. This is how you pay yeah. your bills. It's your career. But when you, you have those moments, you do. And when you have those moments where you can step outside of it and see just kind of like not right. only the people that know you, but the people that helped you along the way and right. you see them share your joy, right. I think it's just a really great thing. Yeah, especially, and it's another level because it's an educator by profession right. who his whole job is to, pre pre uh, is to um, prepare people to go out into the universe mm -hmm. and do something positive. Yeah. And here's somebody who was at one of his schools who did that. So yeah. I'm sure that meant even more to him than just like a neighbor or something, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's cool. And, yeah. you know, and I, but I, and I hope that people coming into this industry get to experience just a little bit of that. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely. My older brother who passed away this past year, um, uh, last summer, um, uh, he, didn't live the life that I lived. He didn't do the same things I did. We'll just say they were a little different, our lives. Mm -hmm. And um, he came to the Super Bowl a few years ago, the one in New Orleans where the electricity oh, nice. went out. Yeah. So that was uh, lovely. Um, <laughs> but he, he he came to that game. Mm -hmm. I, he was one of my runners. I let him kind of oh, come cool. to the game. And he was uh, runners, meaning he took the cards from the photographers and ran them back to the air where the editors. Very hardworking people. They do. They run <laughs> back and forth the whole game. And, but they get to go on the field. They do. Which is a massive thing for most people because most people, as it turns out, 
don't get to stand on the sideline mm-hmm. at a Super Bowl. So uh, he got to go do that, and it was like a highlight of his life. And it was, you know, you don't even, you just kind of, like I said, I, you know, I went to 19 Super Bowls and nine nice. Olympics. And, you know, you get to take that stuff for granted after a while and one piece uh, agreement in the Rose Garden. And um, <laughs> it, you kind of take those things for granted, you know, mm-hmm. to some degree. But at some point, you're, you pinch yourself and say, what the... F. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, they're my, my. This is true. You do. Yeah. You do. You have those moments, and that's really cool. Yeah. That's that. So card runners are something I had no idea about before yeah. I started working in the NFL, and it's but, a job purely made out of necessity. And it's collateral. It Let me is. Tell it is. Oh my god. Oh, those yeah. cards go missing. It is like a whole. I watched a lady have a meltdown at Pro Bowl because she thought she lost her, the card from her camera. She put it in her pocket. Yeah, she did, and it fell out. Like, it was like a yeah. whole thing. <laughs> but they're, that job, they work the shit out of you. Now. They do. <laughs> like they, 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 do. they are. So the photographers are on the sideline at a Super Bowl, as an example. And I have the same thing at wrestling events. Mm-hmm. My photographers are stationary. They don't move wherever they are. That's where they stay for the five-hour show. That's where the photographers of the Super Bowl stay, except for halftime. They stay there. for. It's even more restrained at the Super Bowl than a regular football game Mm -hmm. because you get one corner of an end zone and you can't leave for the entire game. So somebody's job is to come to you, tap you on your shoulder, you turn around and give them the card. That person then runs the card back to some area under the stadium, hands it to an editor who ingests the card, hands it back to you, and you run it back to the photographer. Yeah, it's it's only slightly above uh, tying it to the pigeon's leg <laughs> and sending it from Madison Square Garden to right. the New York Times. But it's pretty... You can't live without it. You can't. And Even with all the technology changes, like they're doing like fiber optic cables yeah, sure. and stuff like that, they still depend on they card runners. They still do. Most people do. And mm. it, it's an important thing. And the point is that the people who do that job are everywhere from like your older brother <laughs> <laughs> to like somebody who works down the hall from mm-hmm. you who you owe a big favor yeah. to, to your boss's nephew. I mean, it, it's all over the map who gets yeah. those jobs. Yeah. But you hold the, if you're in charge of the, the card runners, which I have been in numerous jobs, people love you for like two <laughs> weeks out of the year. When, you, when they think they can get a pass from you, you're like, you're like, my daughter once had her picture taken, thanks to connections of mine in the photo business, back in the day, like 10 years ago, with Justin Bieber. Oh, wow. Backstage, just her little portrait with Justin Bieber, right? And she was beside herself. And she even slouched down because she was taller than Justin Bieber. <laughs> and she, she had a little picture taken. It was the best photo ever. He's a big smile. She's a big, nervous smile for a kid, you know, and the whole thing. She takes the picture to school the next day. And I said, how was it? She goes, I was really popular for one day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what it reminded me of the card runner thing. I said, yeah, I know that feeling. Oh, yeah. and like, it's all fun and games year. until, listen, yeah. that, that's one of the main things I get asked. Like, oh, can you get me Super Bowl tickets? I, like, I, I say like, that all the time. I was I, like, I haven't bought a ticket to anything in 30 years. I don't even know how to get tickets. There's a list, yeah. right? There's a list that's a mile long. And but there's some things you don't want to admit you know how to do. Sure, that's and true. one of them is you can get Super Bowl tickets. You <laughs> want to plead ignorance to that one. Well, you know, I you know it's funny because I started when I started working here. I kind of like it came up with a very creative way to tell people not where I work, right? Because <laughs> you try it out for a little bit, you test the waters to see what the reactions will be, and it was always. And I was single when I started working here, and so the guys were I was like, oh, well, you can get me, you know, tickets, and that was a way that I would like disqualify you from being my man. I'm like, nope, yeah. you're just an opportunist. <laughs> and so I came up with like, so now I tell people. 
I work in sports marketing. And it takes people a minute to figure it. Like, they don't know what it is. And right. so they're just like, oh, okay. And then they just leave me alone. But they and invest a little to find out what you do. Then they might be worth keeping right. around a little bit. Well, it took, yeah. me, I, it took me a month to reveal to my current boyfriend where I actually work. And yeah. I, I lucked out. He was like, oh, I don't care. Okay. Like, he so, didn't even care about football. So wait till you tell him you work for pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I yeah. feel like you get more That's questions about that. That's also a conversation that. you want to avoid for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because then you go into, is it fake? Is it real? Yeah. Like, there's so many questions. Nobody that. ever has come up to somebody and say, hi, how are you? What are you doing? Oh, nice to meet you. What do you do? Oh, I work here. I work here. I went to school here. And I watch pro wrestling. Nobody's <laughs> ever said that in the face of the earth. Right. It comes up at some point, but it's not one of those three things you say right off the bat, right? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm with you. And either you, I mean, I'm sure you're, like, you do the same. <laughs> but it's the, it's the thing you do find about pro wrestling, unlike football, which is everywhere, is that there's a lot of fans, a really dedicated fan base out there. Massive, oh, I can believe it. Massive fans, and they and they're really dedicated to what we do and devoted, and and they're all in on what we do, and it's it's kind of intense and it's fun, you know. It's, yeah. it's really, and the people you meet that you had no idea that they're like wrestling fans, and you're like. Wow, I had no idea. Oh, yeah, I used to go with my dad. It's a lot of I used to go with my yeah. dad conversations, but it, it's fun to do that. And then it just brings me back to the fact that I'm in this business of photography, which has brought me to, like, pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it brought me to the White House. And it brought you to the NFL. Yeah. And it brought you to a magazine in New York City from yeah. Atlanta. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All because of photography. Yeah. And that's, like, the best thing ever. I mean, I, I can't imagine a different career. It's like... I just, I feel like the most fortunate person ever. It's really just, it's wow. been tremendous. Okay. Well, I think we're, we're kind of done with our yeah. conversation. It's been wonderful talking to you and learning about your many different careers and your trips around the globe. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's uh, been fun sitting here listening to myself talk the entire time. <laughs> so, so really, this was wonderful. And uh, uh, on behalf of Crystal and I, um, this was a wonderful episode, and I hope they have many, many more. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs>